What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, we're going to be talking about The Last Duel. And forgive me if uh, I'm about to climb up on my soapbox and preach to you all for a minute because this movie kind of triggered me, at least insofar as... uh, it got me thinking about the future of movies, and shall we say, that future is pretty bleak. <laughs> so we'll be talking about The Last Duel. We'll be hitting on the Todd Haynes documentary, The Velvet Underground, uh, as well as, as always, some uh, some awesome streaming suggestions for your weekend. Thank you guys uh, always so much for listening, spreading the word. Uh, we've been getting definitely a little bit more traction in our recent episodes. So that's always great to see. Um, and yeah, you can get in touch with me at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com with any comments or uh, questions that you may have. But uh, let's go ahead and jump on into The Last Duel. No one involved in the making of The Last Duel did so with the intention of becoming such a symbol for our current moment in the movie industry. But, then again, rarely do we ever get to choose our own place in history. Ridley Scott's medieval epic will be remembered, not for what it is, but what it represents. The final death knell for big, old-school, prestige Hollywood movies, at least as any sort of commercial product. That may sound overly dramatic, but The Last Duel checked all the boxes for old-world success. A $100 million production, four movie stars, and a big-name director, and critical buzz, and still open to $4.7 million at the box office, which would be a disaster had it been the least bit surprising. Meanwhile, the movie that raked in over $50 million this weekend was Halloween Kills, the 12th installment in a franchise, almost universally crapped on by critics, whose star is quite literally hidden behind a mask. Never before has the proverbial name in front of the jersey mattered so much more than the names on the back. A brand name, you know, or intellectual property IP, isn't just the most valuable asset nowadays, it's the only asset that matters. To believe things like movie stardom, prestige, or adjust glasses, quality, our market forces is just hopelessly quaint. Now, that's no attempt to stand as some sort of art versus commerce crusader, There was a time, and it seems like ages ago, when studios could rely on a if-you-build-it-they-will-come philosophy around good movies. Ridley Scott's similar release, Gladiator, was the third biggest movie in America released in 2000. Or, you know, failing that, they could still make a killing on VHS, DVD, and aftermarket sales. People seem to forget that even long before COVID-19, many people preferred to watch movies in their living room. What's more, TV, or at least what we call TV these days, uh, has completely replaced the cultural cachet movies once carried. No movie this year will come close to the cultural blockbuster of Squid Game. And the same goes last year for The Queen's Gambit or Bridgerton, all projects that would have just been prestige movies had they been produced 20 or even 10 years ago. Squid Game creator, I'm going to butcher his name, but Huang Dong-hyuk, confirmed that explicitly, saying that he developed the idea as a standalone feature in 2008. That's really not that long ago. The only reason uh, for movies like The Last Duel to exist now, or in the future, 
is as a vanity play for studios competing for little trophies, which carry little currency outside the C-suite manhood measuring contest around Hollywood. The conglomerate parent companies that own the studios know these money suckers will need to be subsidized by the success of the 14th X-Men sequel. In this new world, to love such movies like The Last Duel is to accept that you're iconoclastic. Fine by me, because what The Last Duel really is, is an old school epic drama, a pure display of quality in every department, from the gritty, bleak gray lighting to whoever came up with Matt Damon's disgusting mullet to the smirk on Ben Affleck's face when he yells at Adam Driver to take your pants off. <laughs> the script reunites Damon and Affleck as co-writers for the first time since Goodwill Hunting, and with an assist from the talented Nicole Hall of Center, they paint the medieval feudal system like the frat house it almost certainly was. This story is an almost painfully obvious allegory for our modern Me Too movement based on the true story of the last judicial trial by combat in 1386 France. On one side stands Damon, an insecure squire who suffers from a Napoleonic complex and a constant grudge against the world. His friend turned nemesis is Driver, an arrogant womanizer who gains ever more favor in the court by being party bros with the local count, played by Affleck. Caught in the middle is Jodie Comer, wife to Damon and apple of Driver's eye. The story is told in three sections, retelling the same events from, from the perspective of Damon, then Driver, and finally Comer. But, I mean, the movie could not be any less subtle in indicating that the truth belongs entirely to her section, which feels a bit cheap, as, but it might feel a bit cheap, but it is necessary to pay off the theme of the movie that a woman's truth is never as powerful as a man's ego. Comer's performance is outstanding in what is essentially three different roles. She plays a loving wife in Damon's Telling, a seductress in Drivers, and a voice of reason in her own. She embodies each with humanity and really owns the screen against some of the biggest screen presences in recent history. She's likely, unlikely to be nominated due to this movie's total lack of traction, but I'd consider this among the very best acting performances of the year, definitely of what I've seen so far. It helps, of course, that Driver has proven to be one of the most generous scene partners in Hollywood, more than willing to be outshined by his co-stars. I'm, I'm thinking of Black Klansman and Marriage Story and really even Star Wars. While, I mean, he himself is, just continues producing nothing but interesting work. As for Damon, it seems he continues to pursue penance, either for the good old boy coronation that birthed his and Affleck's careers with an Oscar at 27, or for the man who made it happen, Harvey Weinstein's Miramax produced Goodwill Hunting, and other early hits. Or it could be penance for the fact that he really, he said earlier this year that uh, he just learned he shouldn't use the F slur three months ago. Anyway, many of his recent projects have either included de-glamming, which is the term given to actresses who uglify themselves in order to be taken more seriously, or satirizing his white privileged movie starness. One could make a million excuses for the failure of The Last Duel, not the least of which is that it's a movie about a rape allegation, including two separate scenes in which we see said rape occur, released to audiences who have never been less ready to accept material that is upsetting or unresolved. See Bond, James. While no one can deny the seriousness of the movie's subject matter, it never wallows or drags. This is part action movie, it's part courtroom drama, part palace intrigue, 
There are a surprising number of comedic moments, mostly coming from Affleck, and nobody shoots the brutality and excitement of combat scenes better than Ridley Scott. The final duel, no pun intended, brings all the drama you might remember from Gladiator and pays off the extended lead-up well. I'd like to believe that good movies like this one will eventually find their audience, even if that means the audience is watching in the three sections in separate sittings or on their phone. And maybe, just maybe, after reading this, you'll be one of them? All right, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new is in theaters, uh, select theaters, but it's also available to stream on Apple TV+. It's The Velvet Underground. Now, around New York City in the 1960s sprung up a Medici-level community of creative talent with an incredible concentration of writers, filmmakers, philosophers, musicians, and artists all interacting and collaborating. My journey over the summer down the Bob Dylan rabbit hole gave me a false sense of what it meant to be, quote, countercultural in that time and place. A misconception corrected by the new documentary on the avant-garde band The Velvet Underground. I can't admit to being a fan of their music or really being the type of person who responds to the eccentricities of Andy Warhol, who was the band's original manager and all-around spirit animal. But respected filmmaker Todd Haynes, who did Dark Waters and I'm Not There, completely immerses viewers in that world of artistic chaos. It's fascinating to compare it to the music scene happening on the West Coast at the same time, captured in the documentary that I love, Echoes in the Canyon. This movie will probably be best enjoyed by big fans and kindred spirits, but as an artistic remnant of a bygone era and an extremely high-level piece of documentary filmmaking, I definitely co-sign. This week's Something Old was uh, released in 1991, and it's Thelma and Louise. Ridley Scott doesn't have quite the reputation as uh, some of his contemporaries. Due to his preference for big, commercial, and therefore less auteur projects, but with The Last Duel and House of Gucci coming soon, his career is ripe for reappraisal. Of course, there's the classics, uh, Alien and Blade Runner. There's the prime years of Gladiator and Black Hawk Down, all the way up through American Gangster, Kingdom of Heaven, and The Martian. He's had quite a career. But if you look at his credits, one that doesn't really belong is Thelma and Luis. It's a road trip movie following two women, played by Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, who go on a crime spree. But it's told with the sort of joyous slapstick that's closer to the Coens raising Arizona than anything Scott has done before or since. It's got a great 1990s sporting cast. Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Christopher McDonald, and a young Brad Pitt. Plus, it's got an iconic ending, which you will always hear mentioned in movie conversations to this day. This week's Something to Stream is on Netflix, and it's Hush. As has been established many times in this newsletter, the horror genre is a major blind spot in my movie fandom. I haven't seen many of the classic franchise entries, but with Halloween around the corner, it didn't seem right to not pass along one scary movie that's a little off the beaten path, which I am a big fan of. Even if it's not Halloween-themed necessarily, it's a super simple premise. 
a deaf writer, lives alone in a remote house when one night a masked intruder shows up and tries to break in. I won't give anything else away past that, other than to say that the movie has some twists and some depth that you wouldn't expect to go with a purely visceral 81-minute thrill ride. Hey, look at me, getting into the Halloween spirit. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. Um, once again, you can get in touch with me at, Mr. at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. If you head over to the newsletter, you'll see this week's trailer watch, um, which was actually kind of a tough one to pick from because this week's trailers, uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman came out, George Clooney's The Tender Bar. We had a, a sneak, a small sneak peek of Joel Cohen's Tragedy of Macbeth and Maggie Gyllenhaal's um, The Lost Daughter, which is looking like a potential awards uh, powerhouse this year. But uh, the trailer I really dug into was Uncharted, <laughs> based on my favorite video game series. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, you can head over to the newsletter next week. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I'm going to be traveling. I'm still going to try and put a newsletter and podcast out uh, for you guys, especially because... We got Dune coming out. If you're listening to this, Dune is out on HBO Max and in theaters. Plus, in select theaters and select cities, uh, The French Dispatch, which will release wide next Friday. And uh, if you're a fan of Wes Anderson or uh, journalism, <laughs> in my case, I check both those boxes. Uh, this is a huge release. So uh, lots to look forward to. Movie season is is in full swing, rolling on. And uh, hopefully you get a chance to see The Last Duel because uh, you know what? No one else is. <laughs> uh, guys, until next Friday, as always, I guess, I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>